Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes. Thanks for your time today. Before we begin, I've got some bad news for you, and it's this. That training proposal you've been working on, well, it's been rejected. The one you spent hours and maybe a whole weekend writing, it's just been turned down. How do you feel? I know it hurts. I know it hurts because I have, on many occasions, composed a thoughtful, considered response to a request from a training client or prospect, but it's not worked. And the question is, in my mind, how do you take this lesson and apply it so that you don't make the same mistakes next time and you learn the positive things because there are always positive things to be learned from auditioning, from going forward, putting yourself out there and learning that lesson so you do it better next time. So this is episode 37 today. We're going to focus on what you can do when you don't win a training contract. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, and welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes. This is the show to help you to start, to grow, and to scale your training business. Each week, we focus on a topic designed to help you, your colleagues, and your training business. Now, before the music, I said there's a situation that you've either been in, you're about to be in, or you will be at some point in the future. And the reason is because this is the natural course of things. We cannot win every single shot, score every goal, and we will not always win the training business proposals that we put forward to our prospects. And actually, in a way, that isn't always a bad thing. So good or bad, blame is not the solution. We're going to focus today on the things we can control, which is how we reflect on things. And to help you do that, we're going to look at 10 questions to ask yourself so you can learn from the lesson. The first thing today, and you might want to grab some pen and a paper is, the first question is, have you asked for feedback from the vendor? In other words, it's extraordinary how often many people just receive that email or that phone call, which they were dreading, and it's there in black and white, we haven't been successful. But they don't think, well, what, what, what is the reason we weren't successful? So ask yourself, if you had five minutes with the person who turned down your training proposal, what would you ask them? What would you ask them? This isn't a post-mortem. Post-mortem suggests that someone has died or this is the end of the world. It isn't. It's simply an audition, and it's a chance to get things right next time. So it's really important that our tone, our demeanor is positive. We're not looking for justification. We don't want people to make them feel that they have to justify why they said no. Instead, we're looking for information. What is it that we did do this time that we could do differently next time? Are there things we left out we could include next time? Are there things which, if we were to include that next time, or even for another client or prospect, what would those things be? So, in a way, you're looking to conduct a very positive, solution-focused conversation with that person who said no to you, in a way that either helps them to say yes to you next time, or at least to have the relationship end in a positive way, in a way that gives you the information you can carry forward 
to do it better next time. So the first question today is, have you asked for feedback from the vendor? The next question is, how do you know you understood the brief? Very often, it's tempting to read the brief, get all excited about the, the prospect of working with this company and that project, and to rush in and simply write down the answers to the questions you think the brief is asking. But did you actually understand what the prospect was asking? Did you answer all the points? Did you clearly link what they were looking for with what you could provide? Did you ask others to see if your proposal answered those questions? Because often a fresh pair of eyes is crucial. If there are sections you have fluffed or padded out with, you know, making yourself or your business sound more important, you've kind of wasted an opportunity. And often we don't know we do that because it's tempting to just dive in and start writing and submit a proposal without asking for a fresh pair of eyes and have the team or other people say, you know what, I don't think you're actually answering the question. You're not exactly providing the value they're looking for here. And it's simple to make that mistake. So how do you know what a professional proposal looks like? If it's new to you, well, it's something you may want to dig into. Find some examples online. There are plenty of examples in PDF format in Google. And you can look up those and compare them to yours. What does a professional uh, proposal look like? And how am I going to answer the questions that come in as part of that brief? If you're unsure, consult others, uh, obviously respecting data protection, and consult someone close to you, either on the team or someone with whom you can trust this information, so that you're able to say, yes, what I'm being asked is what I'm answering here. So that's the second question today. How do you know you understood the brief? You might want to go back and look at that brief now that you've been told no, and think, how would I answer it this time, knowing what I know now? Okay? Question three today is, what was your unfair advantage? The fact is, in the realm of human affairs, everyone has some unfair advantage. Uh, because there is a difference between giving business to company A or giving it to company B. The obvious ones, on the surface at least, are technology or certification, or that you or your competition speak languages that the other doesn't, or that you or your competition has expertise in a particular domain that the other doesn't. And that's life. So what is your unfair advantage? Have you given this some thought? And is it required to include this in the proposal in a way that you can ethically and, so I'll try that again, ethically and legitimately point this out? For example, have you written a book which highlights your expertise? Have you testimonials which you can refer to? Have you a personal work history that your competition doesn't? They're all the kind of obvious things. And the not obvious things sometimes are the things you wouldn't include in a proposal, but they are an unfair advantage. For example, it could be your nationality. It could be a connection, personal, school, some kind of connection that you have that others don't. And people use these things, although officially they don't. What is it that you can bring to bear some kind of commonality that the other person, if they knew this, might look more kindly on you, your business, or your proposal then is the case with the competition. That's the kind of unofficial, not obvious stuff. But someone in there, somewhere, everywhere, has an unfair advantage, and like it or not, people bring this to bear in business situations, as long as it's ethical and moral. Underline that too. So if you're thinking of what you can do, 
The answer is actually anything, as long as it's legal and moral, to win business. And I've seen people do all kinds of things involving bringing people to dinner. As long as it's something that you can live with and it's ethical and moral, you have somewhere in your uh, capabilities or that of your team some kind of an unfair advantage which you can bring out and include verbally or written in some way that swings thing swings those things in your favor. That's just a fact of life. Everyone has an unfair advantage. What is yours? The third question is, how realistic were your chances of winning? As I've said in, in other points, sometimes some things are not so clear-cut. Some people have unfair advantages. So on that basis, had you ever really a chance of winning this work? I know in the past, I've been part of what's called a beauty parade. And what that means is that on the surface, I had a chance of winning this contract. I'm thinking of two situations specifically. But I learned subsequently that someone on the inside had already awarded the contract to X, but they needed to make it look like it was a legitimate process, and I was in as part of this beauty parade. I know it doesn't sound ethical, it isn't, but I've been through that twice, and I now know the kinds of business, particularly in the public sector, that I will not go for because I recognize the signs that I'm not going to really be in with a chance of winning. So questions to ask yourself here. Is this training contract in your area of proven expertise? Have you a real chance of winning? Given the size of the contract, the number of training days required from you and your team, have you a realistic chance of winning? Given the amount of ancillary support or administration required to get training rooms booked and venues booked and proposals put together and training material put together and to send out invitations and to organize logistics, all that kind of stuff, have you a realistic chance of winning? Some companies, because their organizations are so large, multinationals, and their contracts are so large and complex, well, the fact is only certain training providers can really make money through those contracts. Because of the economies of scale, margins are extremely tight. And some companies, having won these valuable contracts, realize they're not so valuable. Maybe they were attracted by the brand name, the client's name, some kind of giant airline, or a telecoms provider. But having won that contract, they wish they hadn't. And I'm thinking of one company I know that the business nearly went under because they didn't really, well, they shouldn't have taken it on, quite frankly. It was something which they were attracted to because of the big name of the brand behind the training contract. But that complex contract was so onerous, so difficult to manage, and such a low margin that they really wished they hadn't. In fact, they lost money on that. It almost collapsed the business. So it gives that some thought carefully. How realistic is your chance of winning? And to expand upon that, how realistic is your chance of making this work if you do win the business, you may very well at some point wish you hadn't won the business or hadn't even applied with a proposal. So the next question is then, what are your criteria for qualifying prospects? Do you accept any business with a price tag? Do you accept any kind of business that anyone approaches you? I know I have in the past been grateful for anything which comes along. But here's the thing. If you say yes to everything, without properly qualifying whether you can meet the requirements, it's going to be a drain on your business. So ask yourself, have you criteria for saying no 
to some kind of proposals? Have you? Have you written them down? Do you know what they are? Is it because certain companies, if they're in this industry, you'll say no to for a variety of reasons? I know people who will not work with any company that produces arms or that uh, produces tobacco or other kinds of industrial equipment for a range of reasons. We won't go into that. But they have criteria for saying no to a prospect. Or it could be because they're in a specific country and it's too far away. Uh, or because they don't speak the language and therefore finding translators uh, or some other kinds of experts is just beyond their capabilities. Have you criteria for qualifying prospects? Um, is sales your area and therefore leadership isn't and resilience isn't? Or is Microsoft Office your area and therefore sales isn't and leadership isn't? Are there prospects whose operation is not a match for yours for a variety of reasons? It could be values. It could be simply that it's not your area of expertise uh, or simply the fact is there's no good feel you don't really gel with that company i know people will not they kind of make up their minds very early on are am i am i right for you and are you right for me but are those esoteric are they something you make up on the fly or have you actual written down criteria and in my experience the companies that are almost better at saying no are more successful than saying yes so i'm thinking of wedding planners here there are wedding planners who have accepted celebrity wedding contracts and then wish they hadn't because it was such a pain in the you-know-what or the profit was so small. So do you run the numbers when you're looking at business? Are you able to say, this is not for me, this is for me, these people are for me, these people are not for me? Where does this, does this lead come from? Have you a sales funnel to qualify people in and out of your sales funnel? so that you can legitimately say these wrong prospects never get past the door. Because as you get more confident in your training business and your team does, you should be able to actually have people applying to work with you. I know it's perhaps a strange concept at this stage, but the best training companies, they have people knocking on the door because they know that if they get past the door, if they get in, these kinds of companies will never let them down. So are you that kind of business? Have you legitimately a way to say, these people are not right for me, I will not work with anyone, and people have to apply to work with me? It's kind of a change in mindset or a paradigm shift, but I know you'll get there because this is where you need to be. The next question is, how do you stand out? What did you do in this instance to stand out? You must have stood out or no one would have considered you. No one would have contacted you. Is it possible, again, that your website is attracting the wrong prospects? When did you look at your website? Um, when you're thinking of applying for a training piece of business or a piece of training business, are you creating an application video to explain why you're different and how the process of working with you is mapped out? We call this road mapping. Are you clear on the journey that you're going to take with that prospect so they understand exactly all the touch points and what the value is upfront from you all the way to the end of that training contract. Is there something that you're doing to stand out to attract these people in the first place? So if I know I'm up against competition, what I'll often do is to create an introductory video early on to send to my clients at the proposal stage, articulating exactly what I'm going to go through with them to clarify that I am the right person for them and that they're right for me. It's a kind of a dance, if you will. It's a marriage insofar as we're looking for the right reasons to come together. 
it isn't enough to say, well, you need me and I need you, let's train. It's a better case of saying, how do I know that this is something which is going to pay off for you? And here is what my process looks like. So I'd like you to think about having or developing a professional onboarding process so that it confirms that your training business is slick, professional, and considered. What did you do to stand out? Was it your onboarding process that attracted someone? Perhaps the wrong client or the right client? The next question is, what did you do to establish value? What this means is, not value in terms of price tag, that's the easy part, but value in terms of the transformation to the prospect. Um, Again, coming back to the request for proposal that they wrote, in fact, it may never have been a request for proposal. Uh, Someone might have just left the phone and called you and sent you an email and simply said, can we get this from you? Can you deliver X, Y, Z? So think, what did you do to establish value that got that organization to say yes? And this is all part of looking at why a training bid that that you've just sent in hasn't worked. Maybe it's because you did not convince them of value. Maybe you went right to price and all they saw was a price tag. And it's easy to focus on yourself. It's easy because it's an easy thing to do, to talk about your past experience and, and all the things that you can do and all the things you've done. But somewhere, in fact, to a large part in your proposal must be a clear articulation of value. You must point out that you understand what their problems are, the consequence of your prospect continuing to have those problems, and therefore the the value or gain of your solution. So you're understanding gain, sorry, pain, and you're articulating gain. So are you asking questions to put a value on the value of fixing the problem? Are you asking questions to put a value on the value of fixing the problem? So as a guide, you could charge 10% of the value you're delivering. A very simple rule of thumb. So through careful questioning, you're, you're finding out what is the value of the solution and the cost of the problem. Or the other way around, what is the cost of the problem and therefore the value of the solution? So if you understand the problem thoroughly, you'll understand the value to the prospect of fixing that problem. What is the, the value of the gain to make the pain go away? And that then is the basis for an accurate proposal because as a, as a rule of thumb, you're charging 10% of the value you're delivering. And often training contracts or proposals that you or I write don't work because the value that we're articulating is way off the mark. The price, therefore, we're charging is completely um, unrealistic. It's either too low or too high. And yes, it is possible to come in too low. And if you do that, companies may think you don't understand our problem. You couldn't possibly because how are you going to make money from this? So it's really important that you, in your onboarding process, in your qualifying process, you understand by asking the right questions, what actually is the cost of the pain that someone has? And therefore, what's the value of the gain in fixing this problem. Because if you don't do that, they may think you're not up to the task and therefore you're not the right training business for them. So think of ways that you can prove you are worth training their team. You can deliver 10 times the value of what you're charging. Is there anything else you could offer which they cannot refuse? So is your value conversation so compelling that they will give you the business because you've articulated their pains and their gains 
in a way that it makes sense for you to be the right provider or at least shortlisted as a training provider. The next question I would ask myself is, what worked well last time? Now, if this is your first training proposal, uh, that's okay. Um, we've all written a training proposal for the first time at some point, but unless this is your first training proposal, you more than likely have written a proposal well in the past. So look back and compare what worked the first time or the last time to the one this time. What worked well last time and the time before that? Do you know by now what you're good at? How did you win or get the last piece of business? Maybe there was no proposal required. Sometimes a relationship is enough. But can you look back, review that last success, the one before this one, and look at what you repeated or didn't repeat? Maybe the last contract came from a public speaking event and then the direct approach followed, whereas this one you've just been rejected for is from a public tender so the goal, no matter what, is to find out what have you done on other occasions that might not have been done this time or might not have been done well enough this time. It's so easy to get focused on what we call shiny object syndrome and to, you know, apply for pieces of business which look like they're going to be profitable, but they're actually not profitable. So maybe there's a lesson here. The riches are in the niches. Is there something that worked well last time? It could have been, say, a sales training contract. So maybe that's the thing to do next time. Maybe the lesson is, in fact, to, to stay away from other areas until you have a volume or, or a sizable or reasonable amount of particular business in a particular area before moving on to another niche. Okay? So what worked well last time and what if any thing did you not do this time? And maybe that explains why the training proposal was unsuccessful. The next question then, question number nine, is what are you telling yourself right now? As I said at the beginning, this is not a post-mortem. The goal is not to be morbid or to ruminate and to focus on the negative because no one hits all the shots. No player, no basketball player, golf player, baseball player, tennis player, no one gets all the shots right. No one scores all the goals. So the goal is not here to win everything. It's to at least win the lesson if we don't win the game. What is it I can do differently next time? Watch any player out there. They come away with some kind of perspective and retrospective on what went well and what went not so well and understand what to do differently so their next game plays off. So the key is to learn from the lesson. So if you're right now telling yourself all these negative things, we're no good, I'm not good, it's his fault, it's her fault, that's not the thing to do. So my question is, what are you telling yourself right now? You have some reason to congratulate yourself because you put yourself out there. If this is your first time writing a training uh, proposal, congratulate yourself because you have had some courage in putting yourself out there. The goal of every audition is an experience. It may not be, you don't perhaps get the role in the film, but you get the experience. So get back up there, okay? It's not the size of the boxer in a fight. It's the size of the fight in the boxer. It's the willingness that you have to brush yourself off, to dust yourself down, and to tell yourself positive things. Okay, didn't get this right this time, but here's what I've learned. Here's what I now know is going to be different and better next time. 
And as one of my favorite authors, Samuel Beckett, says, and I'm not reading Samuel Beckett that long, but uh, have begun recently, and one of his quotations is the following, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. I love that. I love that. One more time. Ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. So, Right now, your state of mind is hugely influential on your attitude to the next time you do this. So tell yourself positive things. Look at the positive side. Look at the upside. I've learned something by writing this. I can improve this. We didn't get this way, but through some kind of debriefing or some kind of questions, asking the vendor or the prospect where things could be better next time, you will learn and you'll do it better next time. So have that willingness to fail, Failure is not death, it's simply a stage in the right direction. And the final question today is what will you do differently next time? Maybe you need to get some kind of specialist um, assistance through someone who writes proposals professionally for a living, and they are out there. I've worked with someone like that before. There are proposal writers on sites like uh, peopleperhour.com. I'm not sure if they're on fiverr.com, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere else. Maybe there's a business coach who can help you, someone who's got experience uh, writing or uh, preparing uh, proposals at a particular level in a particular industry, and that's someone who could help you. Um, maybe there's you know, really good proposal software like Proposify.com, which will give your proposal that really shiny, professional, slick use or appearance. The last thing you want to do is to knock together any old thing using Microsoft Word. I think personally, Microsoft Word proposals are kind of old hat. You really want to stand out these days. So think of some creative way, imaginative way, using some software which is efficient, like Proposify.com, and put that together in a way that when you're writing the proposal, you don't have to reinvent the wheel from scratch every single time. Using software like that will help you to templatize so that there is a consistent series of sections which go in each proposal, and then you you tweak the rest, okay? Uh, the other thing, of course, is next time, don't put so many eggs in the same basket. Maybe there's a lesson here insofar as that you've got to revise your approach to particular proposals. Um, if you're spending nine hours writing a proposal, uh, that's perhaps a bad sign. Uh, there is a way to do these things more efficiently. And in my view, that is templatization, where you have a consistent structure for all templates. You're simply tweaking different areas and modifying the language and examples and testimonials to match that particular prospect. So it's a bit like dating. What is it? That, what is the right thing to say to attract them? Because everyone's different. Every prospect is different. Not everyone is right for you and you are not right for everyone. So think of the lessons you can learn from this whole process. It's not the end of the world. It isn't, never will be. The question is, what is your attitude to this event? And to get back up there and get out there one more time. So the questions today, one more time, are, have you asked for feedback from the vendor, from the prospect? Number two, how do you know you understood the brief? With a fresh pair of eyes now, what is this telling you? Number three, what was your unfair advantage? Had you any? If not, can you find one so you can use it next time? Number three, four rather, how realistic were your chances of winning? Were you part of a beauty parade? Was this a contract? Had you won it? Would it have been viable 
Would it have been the kind of contract you wish you had won, or would you regret that? Next one, what are your criteria for qualifying prospects overall? Do you accept any business at all? Or have you an actual list of kinds of organizations and kinds of business you say no to because people should really apply to work with you? How do you or what did you do to stand out? What attracted this prospect to you in the first place? And what is your proposal process or onboarding process or advertising process which is bringing these kinds of clients to you? Next question, what did you do to establish value? Did you focus on price, meaning time for money, Or were you asking the kinds of questions which clarified exactly what the problem was, the cost of that problem, and the value of your fixing it, such that the price tag reflected the kinds of value and made it compelling? Next question, what worked well last time? Were there other times when you have been successful in writing proposals? And what was missing this time around, if anything? What were you good at last time? What did not work well this time? Comparing the two, Are there lessons in there? Second last question, what are you telling yourself right now? This isn't a post-mortem. We're not being negative. We're focusing on what we can learn and carry forward so that everyone in your team and yourself wants to get back up and try again because it's not the size of the boxer in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the boxer. And lastly, what will you do differently next time? Will you hire a business coach? Will you get some kind of specialist assistance? Will you review other training proposals from other organizations online? And what will you do to clarify your process for attracting quality leads so that you are doing the right work with people who need you? Okay, so there are 10 questions today to ask yourself in, well, considering what's just happened. Maybe it hasn't happened to you. Maybe it has just about to happen or at some point will happen in the future. That's okay. The goal every Thursday is to take things like this, topics like this, and to spend time together reviewing them. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for progress. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for performance. So it's part and parcel of being in business, uh, getting no's as well as getting yeses. And often the closer you are to getting a yes, the more no's you get. It's paradoxical, but in some ways it makes sense. Think of the inventors out there, people who invented all kinds of things that we use today in our homes and our offices. They must have kept on going when things were not working. Otherwise, they never would have found a solution. So go easy on yourself. Go easy on your team. Contact the person who said no to you in a way that makes them want to help you to be successful next time. We're not looking for justification here. We're looking for information. Same again next week, next Thursday, we have another episode. You can always find the episodes each week on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iTunes. And I look forward to personal communication from you again this week. I received five emails yesterday alone. And you can reach me on markghays at gmail.com. I'm all the time reading emails and replying to them personally. So I welcome your comments. And please feel free to share the podcast details with other training professionals because this helps to make the training, uh, in fact, the podcast episodes relevant and valuable because I know exactly the kinds of things that you need, the kinds of guests you can have on the show or want to have on the show to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Okay, same time next week. Until then, have a great training week. Thanks. 
thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.